This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along, and it's lovely to look out at blue skies uh, today because we just so much rain last week, you would just be sick of it. And it does look like the gods are going to be smiling down on us, or maybe it's going to be St. Patrick is going to be smiling down on us because as we celebrate St. Patrick's Day for the first time in three years next Thursday, it looks like the weather is going to be on our side. Warm temperatures, sunny skies. It's all to do with this African heat burst which is moving right across uh, Europe and obviously there's lots of parades and outdoor events arranged for next Thursday and at this stage Met Erin are saying that next Thursday our temperatures will be on par with Madrid in Spain and we are expecting afternoon temperatures on Thursday as high as 14 degrees which will be absolutely gorgeous with lots of sunshine and a predominantly uh, dry day. Now there is some rain forecast for Wednesday but Thursday St Patrick's Day definitely brighter conditions for all of the uh, festivities with the sunshine just an isolated shower and any showers that Met Aaron are expecting for St Patrick's Day are going to be pretty early in the morning so the rest of the day should be dry and bright as I say with those temperatures could go up to 14 degrees on Thursday which is absolutely terrific. John Paul taking your calls this morning if there's anything you want to share with us 0818 103 103. Texts and WhatsApps are also available at 086 103 103 and I just want to go back to last Friday night and I really see what's up since then Patricia did you enjoy Friday night I did enjoy Friday night I mentioned at the close of the programme that I was one of the compares for the Pride of Cork Awards these were awards that were due to take place last year but obviously with Covid restrictions and all of that they had to be pushed out so we finally got to get dressed up and go out out last Friday night and it was just such a special night in the Clayton Hotel in Silver Springs congratulations to all of the winners. I think there was 35 Pride of Cork awards given out. And, you know, listening to, I was obviously I was reading some of the citations and then I was listening to uh, PJ Coogan from 96FM. He was the one of the other compares along with the lovely Miriam O'Callaghan from Primetime. She was the third compare. And just listening to the other citations and it, it just made you feel so proud of this city and county that we live in because this was the best of the best of community spirit and volunteerism and the best of arts and the best of culture and it was just 
a wonderful, wonderful event. And you could see each of the recipients who were picking up their awards were genuinely thrilled and delighted that they had been honoured. It really was lovely. So a special word of thanks to Michael Mulcahy of the Cork Civic Life who organised the Pride of Cork Awards. It really was. It was just lovely. And it was just nice to be out and to get dressed up and get the hair done and and it was obviously black tie so it was a chance to put on a, you know a nice long dress it was lovely it just it just felt normal life felt normal again it it really was terrific so once again congratulations to each and every one I won't get into individuals who I met because do you know what will happen I'll forget to mention somebody because I met so many people on Friday night and in particular people that I have interviewed say many times over the phone but haven't met in person and it was lovely just to meet people in person again so congrats all round to the recipients of the Pride of uh, Cork uh, Awards. And the one thing about being out on Friday night, you know, obviously it was the first big event that I'd been at, the first event where there was a lot of people inside in a room. And there's a nervousness about it. And, you know, talking to people, you could see people were saying, oh, God, you'd be a bit nervous about coming to an event like this. But I have to say it was so well organised and tables were well spread out. So you could mingle and be on top of people as much as you wanted to, or if you wanted to find a nice quiet area away from other people, you could. But it's the whole thing of, do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? And certainly I know when I was walking around the hotel all the staff were wearing masks and when I arrived at the hotel I popped my mask on when I was checking in and when I walked down to the event centre I I had my mask on I was conscious and I'll tell you what I was more conscious of I was conscious of other people and it's one of the reasons that I continue to wear a mask even though it's no longer mandatory but I wear a mask for other people more than I do for myself now before I went on Friday I did an antigen test just to make absolutely sure that I wasn't bringing COVID with me and my antigen test was negative, which was great. But I wore a mask because I'm very aware of other people, particularly people who are immune compromised. It's the same. It's one of the reasons that I continue to wear my masks when I go into the supermarket, haven't gone into a shop or a garage without popping my mask on because you don't know who else is going to be in the shop or the venue, wherever you're going. There can be somebody who is immune compromised. I mean, I have a friend of mine, for example, who had a liver transplant. She would be immune compromised. I have a friend of mine who's going through cancer treatment. She would be immune compromised. I have friends of mine whose children will be very vulnerable and would be immune compromised. And these are people who cannot get, no matter how mild the Omicron variant of COVID, COVID is, they can't risk getting COVID. So, This opening up of society can be very nervous for a certain cohort of people. And I think the rest of us, you know, if we get and we're hearing of so many people getting COVID at the moment. And for the majority of us, please, God, if you were to get COVID, it would be a fairly mild affair. You might feel a bit unwell for a day or two. You might have a bit of a sniffles. You might have a a bit of a cough. You might have no energy. But for most of us, it isn't going to be a major event in our lives other than you'll be restricted for the time in which you have to restrict your movements. But then you we have to think of the more vulnerable in our society. And that's one of the reasons why certainly I continue uh, to wear masks. And uh, interesting, as I mentioned, the great weather for St. Patrick's Day, there has been concern expressed around the potential of St. Patrick's Day festivities that could encourage the spread of uh, COVID-19. I mean, the numbers in hospital 
patients has started. It's gone over the thousand mark, uh, I think, again, or it's expected to go over the thousand mark today. I mean, it jumped 62 yesterday over the previous day, just under the thousand mark. That's the highest figure that have been in hospital with COVID uh, since mid, mid-January. And in the Irish Times today, I think it was I read, where our own Fine Gael Senator, Jerry Bottomer, he says that the compulsory mask wearing in shops and on public transport, he's gone so far as to say it should be reintroduced. And he said particularly with in light of the increase in the COVID-19 cases and the hospitalisations and the rise in other respiratory conditions. You know, there's obviously there's still flus and that doing the rounds uh, as well. And he's not the only one saying that we should bring back the masks. The Trinity College Dublin immunologist, Professor Kingston Mills, he was out at the weekend and he has described the continuing rise in cases and hospitalisations. He's concerned about them. He, and he says, he's kind of agreed with what I'm saying. For ordinary healthy people, this is, you know, it's not generally an issue, but it's for those who are at risk. That's where the big concerns are. And he said many of those people are still cocooning and broader society needs to offer more protection to that group of people. Uh, Senator Jerry Bottomer expressed concern around St. Patrick's Day celebrations that that could lead to further infections and he feels that masks were just got rid of too uh, quickly. quickly. Now, you know, he makes the point masks are not silver bullets but, you know, he's saying Are we not better to be safe than to be uh, sorry? Now, when I mentioned hospitalisations, they're up more than 50% in the last fortnight since we've removed the mask. Now, just to break down, though, those hospital figures, half of the total who who were in hospital with COVID involved patients who were admitted for other conditions. But then obviously when they go into hospitals, they're still testing for COVID-19 and then they tested positive while in hospital. So they had it and perhaps didn't realise they had it or else they picked it up while in hospital. Now, and thanks to the dominance of what is the less severe Omicron variant, the ICU numbers, and this is the positive side of it, they are remaining stable. I think they were, did I see they were down at 41 uh, yesterday. But many people on immunosuppressive treatment, you've got people who've got cancer, people who have MS, transplant uh, patients, they could have serious problems if they picked up COVID-19. And Professor Kingston Mills is saying we mustn't forget these uh, people. And he, at the weekend, feels that the government, uh, in some extent, some extent, have turned their back on that very vulnerable group of people. He said the government shouldn't have dropped the requirement for compulsory mask wearing on public transport, but he acknowledged any decision to reverse that removal would be hugely unpopular, both with politicians and with members of the public. Now, when he was asked about St. Patrick's Day and is he worried about St. Patrick's Day, he said, look, the events such as the parades and the outdoor outdoor events, they're all taking place outside. So there's a very low risk there. But what he would be worried about are the parade-related entertainment and transport activities and people going into pubs, people going into gigs that are going to be on. If there's a lot of people together, that's what he would have his uh, concerns. And then I can already see uh, some people texting us on 
on uh, this one. Uh, Mary said she was out doing some shopping in Killarney at uh, the weekend and even staff members weren't wearing masks. She said the amount of shoppers with no masks at all. She said it was frightening. She feels we've become uncaring people. And Anne says, good morning, Patricia. COVID is rising again. It's increasing within the community. Children are bringing it home from school. Face masks were removed too soon, according to Anne. I saw packed buses at the weekend with only a handful of people wearing masks. Thousands eligible for boosters and many of them are not going forward. There will definitely be further surge after St. Patrick's weekend. Uh, Wait and see. Face masks and restrictions will be back with us again. What are public health doctors saying now? Personal responsibility will not work to keep COVID away. Your thoughts welcome. Jared says, Patricia, remind your listeners who have access to ITV that the TV adaptation of Graeme Norton's book Holding starts tonight at 9pm. Largely filmed in West Cork last summer. Virgin Media will broadcast it at a later date. Uh, but if people have access to ITV, they'll be able to see it tonight. I imagine that. Huge excitement in West Cork because there's nothing better than watching an area where you live or work or that you know really well. There's nothing better than watching it on the big screen. I can't wait to see it as uh, as well. Um, so thank you, Jared, for remind me, reminding me of that. That is tonight at 9pm. Can I stay with TV for a moment and just go back to last night and uh, Dancing with the Stars? Uh, Michael in Castletown Bear, who's been a huge fan of Dancing with the Stars, can I say, from the start? Because I think nearly every week he sends in a text about it and uh, he says there was war, there's going to be war on the dance floor. He said it is really cranking up now with the semi-finals looking to be a real thriller next week. Last night saw the exit of Nicholas Roach which by the way, says Michael, he didn't agree with but he said we are in a democracy. He wouldn't have been Michael's choice to have gone home last night. Now that it's down to the serious, serious bit with very little room for error, I think that we are in for a thriller right up to the moment of the winner being announced. Michael's favourite from night one has been jockey Nina Carberry. And Michael says she still is. I still agree with Brian Redmond when he said to her, you missed your calling. For somebody who's never danced a step, she's been an example and furthermore she is inspiring. Her flow, her step, her elegance on the dance floor. She has it all in such a very short space of time. Good luck to her uh, on all and give good luck to them all and all that they've given it their best. It's been the very best show in town. Thanking you, says Michael. Yeah, I, I, I've loved it as well, I have to say. And actually, I don't know, Michael, if you were tuned our way on Friday when I had Jay Carter on. And of course, Jay Carter had been a former winner and he's now partner in life. He had one of the Dancing with the Stars romances. Uh, Karen, she was, she's Nicholas, Nicholas, uh, Nicholas Roach's um, dance partner last night, professional dance partner. And when I spoke with Jay Carter on Friday, he also was tipping Nina Carberry and he said, pardon the pun, but she is the dark horse as well. So, yeah, and I don't know, Michael, if you were a betting man and you managed to put a bet on Nina from the start, but she really, really has been. But, you know, it's going to be great. It is going to be, it's going to be a hard one to call. But if if I could pick, I'd be with you. I think Nina has been absolutely superb. And I think young Ellen Keane, the Paralympian swimmer, I think she's been outstanding as well. 0818 103 103. Isn't it great to have 
distraction with a show like that. It really is lovely on a Sunday evening. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. It's heartwarming to see the local community in Mallow are rallying to support a young boy and his family who suffered serious injuries in an accident while on a family holiday in Paris during the recent mid-term break. Kevin O'Callaghan is a sixth-class pupil from Drumaham and he's currently undergoing tests at Temple Street Children's Hospital and his big sister Rachel joins me to fill us in on the story. Good morning to you Rachel. Morning Patricia. Now this really is such a devastating accident to young young Kevin. I suppose you better start by outlining what exactly happened in Paris. Um, well, I suppose, um, I suppose, as you said, we had, um, I suppose, a holiday planned um, in Paris. So I suppose we had, um, we were spending the first little bit of it in Paris and then we were heading to Disneyland then after that. So um, I suppose my mum's a great one for planning holidays and different things like that. So she did all planned. And um, I suppose we headed off on the Sunday and um, we spent, I suppose, the day in Paris and, I, and um, we spent a bit of Monday there as well. And, like, Kevin had a ball, like, we did, you know, all the touristy things, like, I suppose, like, the tower, the Louvre, you know, um, Kevin went to, you know, he loves, he's obsessed with sports and all that, so we went to the Paris Saint-Germain Stadium, and, um, you know, he had an absolute ball. And then, I suppose, on Monday evening, then, we headed out, um, you know, to the to the Disneyland area, I suppose, to start, you know, next part of the trip. And um, we, I suppose, we were staying in our hotel, and I suppose we went in. It was like, you know, there's like a kids' paradise. There was like a soft play area, swimming pool, you know. And I suppose younger lads were, you know, yourself, so excited to, um, you know, to get in and you know, see the fun and all that. And um, Kevin and I suppose his little sister, they went in playing in the soft play area. And I suppose in the soft play area, um, I suppose Kevin had a, a bit of freak accident. So. Um, um, he was, um, I suppose we're not, uh, you know, 100% sure exactly, you know, what happened, but he, anyway, he fell um, in the soft clay, just, I suppose, when the levels kind of changed, you know, where he was walking and then he had to crawl down and he fell, and I suppose in the pro- when as soon as he fell, he was instantly paralysed. You know, whatever way he fell. Um, just, a, just an absolute freak accident. A complete an absolute complete freak, like, you know, complete freak accident. And um, as soon as he fell down, you know, he couldn't move. Um, and he said everything was, you know, was fuzzy. Um, and he just couldn't, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't move. He lost, um, I suppose, feeling all over, really. And he said just everything that, you know, was, was fuzzy. And I suppose, as he said, like an absolute complete and then I imagine, Rachel, panic sets in. You need to get, in, the ambulance is called and he needs to get rushed to the hospital. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So I suppose, um, you know, um, the ambulance was called um, and I suppose obviously language barrier, I suppose, you know, we went over for a holiday so we never expected, you know, yourself to, I know, to, you know, I know. to, know, to know French or whatever, like to know, um, I suppose, you know, that was kind of a little bit of a thing, but he was taken to, I suppose, um, a hospital. Um, I suppose because of COVID-19 and everything um, over there, they're quite strict that it was only my mum could go with him. And they went to the, a hospital that was, you know, um, was close to Disneyland. And I suppose he was assessed there. And I suppose the scans are running and everything. And I suppose when they realised the extent of his injuries, then he was rushed into um, Necker Hospital in Paris then. And um, again, more scans were repeated. And he was in surgery then, um, very early on the next day then, for um, a compression of the neck and spine. 
a compression of the neck and spine. Okay, yeah. so they yeah. did the initial surgery that needed to be done. So now yeah. he's on the flat of his back in a hospital in Paris and he yeah. needs to get to Temple Street Children's Hospital. How how did you how did how did you manage that? Well, I suppose obviously initially he needed time as you know to recover. You know to I suppose you know after the surgery, just a bit of initial time, I suppose. And um, I suppose to be honest, it was brilliant. I suppose we reached out to I suppose everybody we possibly you know possibly could to bring him back. But um, um, there was multiple politicians that helped. Um, I won't name them now because I'll forget okay, somebody, okay. and I, I I won't you know just that way. But um. We reached out and, you know, everyone really rallied together, the HSB, you know, everybody, Temple Street, of course, obviously, everybody did their absolute best. And thank God, Kevin, he came back on Wednesday evening, just Wednesday just gone. I take it in, it was was some kind of an air ambulance had to bring him back, was it? Yeah, so there was an air ambulance um, came from um, Germany. Um, I said it's surreal when you think about it, like, but um, an air ambulance came from Germany and he had to get, um, yeah, he had to get, he had to get an air ambulance. Yeah, to be a- uh, airlifted back. And I know, I mean, I'm yeah. assuming if the politicians got involved, the Department of Foreign Affairs got involved, and they yeah. are, they are brilliant. When you know, God forbid, something like this happens, it's then yeah. and only yeah. then we realise how important our Department of Foreign Affairs is. So he's yeah. he's in he's in Temple Street. Any signs of movement at this stage, Rachel? Like, I suppose, like, a little, like, there's little, you know, I suppose we're hanging on to hope all the time. And that's, you know, we're, you know, there's all, you know yourself, there's always hope. I suppose in Paris, they were, I suppose, they were grim enough. And I suppose um, Temple Street are just rerunning all the, they're rerunning all the tests. And I suppose, you know, just to, you know yourself, just to see, you know, um, I suppose they're, they're assessing him to see what, I suppose what the way forward is, you know, is going to be, um, you know, and as I said, there's always hope. And I said we're hanging on, you know, you're yeah, yeah. you know, we're hanging on to hope, and um, never, never, ever give up on that hope. Never give up on that yeah. hope. And where is the the break in the spine? Is is he is is it is it from? Is it the waist down? Is it the chest down? Is it the neck down? It's like he got it at like the top, you know, like of your his operation was kind of at the top of the neck. You know where you're at the top of the spine, and you know that where your neck and your spine kind of meet. There, all right, so. it's high up. It's it's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Ah, so, goodness me! Now, uh, talk to me about Kevin and the type of child, the typical type of child. You mentioned he's massively into sports. Oh, he absolutely! I said he's obsessed with sports. Um, <laughs> he, I said, I said every day he'd be on. You know, um, I said he'd have one of us on the road with him, like you no, know, um, going to either. You know, and um, I said he loves, like he lives and breathes Kilkenny, like um, he. You know, he was in he was in the football team, the hurling team, and um, he was into Green Celtic soccer. He was into um, you know, um, cycling. Um, I suppose every possible thing, you know, sporty thing that Kevin would you know could do, he would do like you know, um, and right, like you yeah. know, be out and about. You know, yourself, he just he absolutely loves it. And sure, he's into like I said, he's massively into into the soccer as well, and you know, like Man United and. No, he's just your. I suppose he's so sporting and he absolutely loves it. You know, very, so very, very active uh, child. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so he's in Temple Street. Have they mentioned National Rehabilitation Hospital in Dunleary? Has that been spoken um, about well, too early? Yeah, I suppose it's. I suppose they're assessing him at the moment, but it is envisioned that there will be a long rehabilitation process ahead of Kevin. Um, but at the moment, they are like assessing to see. I suppose. What their, you know, what their, you know, what their, I suppose, interpretation of it is, and you know, I suppose we'll have to go from there. But there will be a long rehabilitation process, you know, um, with it, like you know. But um, as I said, we're hanging on to hope, and you know, um, 
we're just we're very hopeful that never know. give up on that never yeah. ever give up on that and I know uh, a family friend set up a, a GoFundMe page uh, because obviously there's a long road with uh, rehab I'm, I'm assuming there's going to have to be some adaptation uh, done to the family home for when mm-hmm. Kevin gets home and that's what it's all going to be about is, is getting young Kevin at home uh, you must be thrilled with the reaction to the GoFundMe page uh, Rachel oh yeah we're delighted I mean um, we'd say thanks to Kira Hegarty for setting it up um, and oh it, like it's, it's brilliant and I mean the support of the local community like in Dromahan in Mallow um, it's, you know it's been brilliant like you know um, I think it just shows Kevin you know like he was in, you know it's just it's, I think it's a good you know it's just it just shows like you know it reflects Kevin you know because especially I suppose in the local community like you know he was always at you know the soccer matches the GA matches like even you know, um, we have like um, I, we've all, we've you know um, younger siblings involved in GA, and he'd always go over, you know, with them. You know, um, you know, he just I said he just loves it. So you know, it's um, I suppose it's it's great to see. You know, it's yeah. great to see. Um, and as, and said, as well, because I know with a lot of these um, fundraisers when they're set up, Kevin or Rachel, complete strangers will donate because you know people will hear about Kevin's story, and people will think that could be my son, that could be my brother. That could be my nephew, you know, could yeah. be my grandchild, yeah. you know, and, and it like, always touches I, yeah. people. Yeah, and I, I said, we like, we went over on a, you know, a holiday. As I said, my mom was brilliant. Like, she did organise it. She, like, that's, I said, that's my mom. She's brilliant at it. And I said, you know, we just, you know, we're all so, you know, we're so excited yeah. like, to go. Yeah. And I said, you know, it was literally, I said, a freak accident, yeah. you know, um, and it could happen to anyone. It could literally happen to anyone. And how <laughs> is how is Kevin in himself? How is he coping with it, Rachel? Um, I suppose like we would be having like FaceTimes and different things with him and um like he like he he has his personality, you know, like he he has his personality and you know, I suppose the last kind of while I suppose it's all into so there's been matches and different things and he's watching them and he's you know, um I, like I suppose I don't know has it really hit him yet I'm not, we're not you know not sure like you know that's know, the way but you know but um, as I said he's you know been distracted away in a way at the moment with the matches and the different things good, you know the sports oh, will keep yeah. him that'll keep him going and it, it'll keep him uh, amused yeah. and entertained which is, which yeah, is what he I, needs yeah and I suppose all he's asking is when will he get back to you know that's what he you know that's what he wants is obviously to get back to Playing getting matches. back to his daughter you know to kill Shanig and to Boeing and to back to cycling you know to all the you know all the sports that he has done so as I said you know we're hanging on as we, we're hopeful you know we're, we're hanging on to hope like there's well all the hope well done. You know, Listen, and uh, I can see people saying, "I'll be praying for little Kevin." Yeah, well done. Keep everybody, keep him in in our thoughts and prayers uh, as well. And the GoFundMe yeah, page yeah. is help Kevin and family with his rehab uh, journey. Uh, we'll keep in contact with you, Rachel. And if there's anything yeah. we can do, is anything we can publicise for you, don't hesitate uh, to contact us. But send on our best best wishes to Kevin and indeed to the rest of the family uh, as well. It's just one of those freak freak accidents that happened, and uh, we wish you, Kevin, and you and all of the family the very best of luck in the future and thank you so much for joining us on the programme Perfect, thank you Good morning to you Bye bye, bye bye Rachel O'Callaghan big sister to little Kevin O'Callaghan who had that accident in Paris on the recent midterm break Court today on C103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086 2103 103 As we heard last 
Friday, the Cork Humanitarian Aid Convoy had finally reached Poland and the volunteers were preparing to get the much-needed aid to the people most in need. To see how the weekend went, I'm once again joined by Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners. Good morning to you, Katrina. Morning, Patricia. Great, great to hear you. Now, I've been following, thanks to Donald in the Echo, what's been happening over the Uh weekend. And you face some red tape in trying to get the aid through, especially the aid for the hospital in Kiev. Yeah, that was particularly hard. And um, I I think we just arrived at the the wrong time, basically. They were waiting in no man's land for us. Um, A girl called Anastasia, who's um, a cardiologist, and she was crying and pleading with them uh, at the, the border at Medica to let us through to unload. But apparently there was a threat, you know, there was a fear of something happening and they were doubling up on security. And it kind of unfolded, but not straight away, but bit by bit we, you know, and we've come to the conclusion what they were trying to tell us was that we weren't Polish, we weren't Ukrainian. Uh, and that they didn't want us going someplace where we wouldn't know the lay of the land or what to do and stuff like that. So I think they were just trying to probably keep us safe as well while trying to uh, get on top of um, the threat that was looming over them. And I think that's what it was. But then so you had this doctor. Yeah, you had this doctor on yeah, the other side who had travelled from Kiev, n- knowing had, what you had, and she had the yeah. patients waiting for. She had, oh. she had, and she, she was crying so much like that was, she just couldn't even talk because she was so upset. And like we, we're not going anywhere. We'll get this to you, but it took, uh, it took another day before that could happen. And there was long hours in the queue for the lads like that to wait and wait and wait and wait at Medica and until it happened. But we, there were um, three Polish guys that came along to try and. Um, you know, get the you know get 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 the convoy in, and uh, it just took a very long time because there was so much, like you have to queue at the border, and they check everything. So it's a it's a bit of a process to get to get through. Oh, no, and they're, um, they're the red tape, but your perseverance paid off. You yeah, managed to is. get the aid it's, to this doctor. What what was her it, reaction, it, Katrina? Oh, she was she was just so emotional to get it. And she just said like that it was going to save lives and and take pain away from some people, you know, and stuff like that. She was really emotional. Like, it was so hard to listen to her. Your your heart, our hearts went out to her. And, uh, you know, we wanted, and we know we have to take back more because they're crying out for hospital medical aid. They're crying out for that. They need it really badly. And she explained to us like that so many people are hurt and injured. And she told you what what they most need for you for you yeah. to get it out on on a future exactly. run. Now, talk to me, yeah. Katrina, about the refugees. What scenes are you witnessing amongst the refugees? You know, you see stuff on television, but when you're there, it's absolutely different. You, it's like as if you just come up against, um, I suppose, a wall of ice, and you're there, and it just rips right through you. The pain, the suffering, the agony, the looks on their faces—they're all have the same look there. They're drawn, they're drained, they're really pitiful, and and they're there and they're trying to hold their children. You know, obviously, maybe in the mother, I noticed that they were carrying their children in their arms, and I was wondering where all the buggies and prams were for them that they should have been in these buggies and prams, but um, they they couldn't pack the buggies and prams, you know, into the transport because it was taking up too much space, and as they were 
the majority are mums and children, and then they were crying because they had to leave their husbands behind, they had to leave their parents behind who refused to move, and they were all telling us the same thing, that their families stayed back because their families have lived there all their lives, you know, their mothers and fathers, and they want to stay with their brothers and sisters and not leave, but they wanted their loved ones, which would have been their children and grandchildren out, for to keep them safe, and, you know, one woman was just kept on saying, thank you, thank you, because her daughter showed her mother you know, that they were safe, that they were in safe hands and stuff. And she was asking us, like, to, to wave to her mother, like, and to smile to leave their mother. Her mother know that she was okay. But, like, to hear the tears out of them, like, you know, to hear the way they sobbed and cried, and all of them, they just looked as if they had been crying for days and days and days and then. And do they all speak about wanting to go home as soon as all of this is over? All about to go home. Yeah. They all want to go back. They all want to be back with their loved ones. They all want to be back in their homes. You know, they've had to leave their homes that they've put around them. They've had to leave their cars, their jobs, their friends. They've had to leave everything and just walk with a bag. You know, most of them are coming through with one bag. And that's all they were able to grab and stuff. So, like, when you see it, that's their their life, their whole life inside in one bag. And they're carrying that with them, not knowing that they're going to... The women are crying awfully hard for their husbands, thinking that they're going to be killed, you know, in the war, and they won't see them ever again. And then they have, as I said, the children. We noticed that the mothers were weak and they were drained. You could see their arms kind of falling down, holding the, the children and the babies in their arms. But we saw... We saw a man with a, an empty pram come up and he would go right down to the end of the queue. Now, we were allowed to walk down the side where all the, the, the units are set up, like all the tents are set up for to give first aid, to give food, to give anything that's any clothes, you know, ladies' products, you know, all that stuff, all set up magnificently. But then inside the barriers, like, the women have to walk down to get loaded onto the buses and the children, but he was going down taking out the women that had children in their arms, put them into the pram and taking them up <laughs> to save them that extra length of time in the queue yeah. and put them on the bus and he was going back down. I know he was about six foot six, six and to see him pushing up and down, you know, the pram empty and then coming back down with maybe one, maybe two, maybe three children inside and taking them up just to, to spare the mother holding the children. Like you see mothers and children were on the ground and the mothers were, had one child in their arms and they were finding it hard to get the child that was on the ground because that child might have been three or four. Off the ground, they were exhausted. The children were just... And you'd know that they just flopped there because they weren't sitting. They were, the, the, their position showed that they just fell down with exhaustion. So that, that God helped them. God helped them. Yeah. And you, you, from your work with Penny Dinners, you're a great woman to organise uh, feeding a huge number of people. Are you yeah. impressed with the way the Polish community <laughs> are organising the reception centres? You could not kind of bring this back. You'd have to witness this firsthand. They're exceptional in every single way. When the women are coming off the trains up in Tarnoff and they're putting crack up, the soldiers, the police are there and they're lifting them, they're lifting their bags, they're taking everything off them so that the women get a couple of minutes reprieve that they don't have to drag them down all the steps, come along the tunnel and back up all the other steps. And they're comforting the children, they're comforting the mothers, they're telling them they're safe. They're absolutely incredible. And the setup when these trains are passing through stations, there's volunteers standing there and they're loading the trains with food and with water and with nappies and with baby wipes and with 
stuff that they think the people would need to get them to the next stop. There are volunteers then that stay on the trains and they go up and down. And remember, all of this is free. They're not being charged anything. All transport within Poland is free to all the refugees. They can get on trains or buses to take them to safety. And it's all free. But the volunteers are on the trains and they go up and down all day long with the new people that are getting on. And then when they get off then at the train stations, massive set up there altogether for to get them sorted and they're printed buses and taken to schools. You know, like if there are two schools near each other, they've put one school into the other. So there's two schools in one school and one school is free then for to help the, these families, you know, for some places. They're amazing. They really, are. Like they, they, yeah. they really are amazing. Have you spoken to Everything. any any refugees um, about coming to Ireland? Yeah, we, 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 we have some, yeah. And we had, um, we have a family that are helping at the minute. There's six in the family and now they're going from Jeshaf up to Gdansk and they're going to fly from Gdansk to Cork. And there's people in Cove helping them, so we've been talking to them. But they had a problem, they have a family cat, and a lot of people were asking, like, are the pets looked after? They're more than looked after. They have collars, they have leads, they have coats for them at the borders all along the way. They have feeding stations for all the the pets. (laughs) All that's in place. Uh, Like, for everyone. They've thought of everything. They've, they've really thought of everything, yeah. haven't they? So what, what is your plan now as we head into a new week? Well, we know there's a lot of people have promised us, you know, more stuff when we go back. Medical aid would be big, like listening to Anastasia and the, the need for it um, is so great that that would be like I'm talking about hospital medical aid they're doing operations they're, there's still stuff going on people have to be operated on people you know with cancer getting treatment and stuff like that so a lot of medical aid is needed for these hospitals she's a cardiologist and she just explained to us like that it's phenomenal the need it's big it's huge and like people are suffering so and you can't operate on people in their senses and things like that you need all the equipment for the you know avoid infection to avoid everything so like so do you need but do you need do you need cares. do you need money to buy those medical that's not something that the members of the public can donate do you need money to buy mm. those items no we do i suppose or if or if some places can sponsor them yeah people people might have you know companies that make them might have you know an extra few that they can throw in yeah and yeah. we can bring that back now, what we've done here, like it was, uh, like we've linked up with a load of others here, and we know where everything is going, and we know how to do it in an easier way this time because this was like, I suppose we call it our fact finding mission, is what it actually turned into. Yeah. So we did, like we were down in a place called Lejeisk Le- Le- with the Redemptorists and what a setup they have down there. And when we got down there, they were all waiting for the Irish to come and get sandwiches and lemonade and all that stuff <laughs> ready below. Was, was, like, was that where you, you met know? a man with an Irish accent who knew you? That's right. And he drove right in. And I, I was wondering, well, like, he nearly drove in on top of us while we were unloading. But he was so excited, he said he heard that. I, but I, I, like, I was going to introduce us because he was saying, the Irish, the Irish, the Irish. And he was, you know, jovial and, and, and whatever. And he put on his jacket and showed us the Irish flag and all that. No, he, he's Irish. And then I introduced myself. He said, I know quite well who you are. He said, seven or eight years ago, he said, you fed me when I needed it so badly. My so God. So he said, I drove here. He said, at speed. He said, 
I didn't want to miss you. I thought it was lovely. And he's a fabulous guy, doing fabulous stuff. And um, he's living down the Mallow area now and doing very well with his business. And he's over, and there, stuff, as a vo- he's yeah. over there as a volunteer? He is, yeah. Ah, he is. And, you know, and the Redemptorists have, have a, a fabulous setup, like Caritas, all of them. It's all it's all very good, but what we saw, we will, it, it's, it's hard for us. You know, to you'll, we saw carry the height of for humanity life. and goodness. Yeah, but we saw extreme sadness. You know, and, and to see those children, jeez, you know, it's just um, that'll. Um, okay, we, we went shopping then when we lo- unloaded all of that. So we've shopped and shopped, and we're going to do another shop before we go back by them. Oh, okay, all right. You'll, you'll be back at some stage later on this week. You hope to be back. Is it is that the plan? We will. Yeah. But we're shopping here in the, the supermarkets. We just found a big, huge one there now. Great. So we'll be another convoy up there. We'll be cleaning out the, the supermarkets. And listen, just to uh, say, we were, you were very much in, in our thoughts and we spoke about you on Friday night at the Pride of, Pride of Cork Awards. I know. And, and the gang. Know, I was gutted. I yeah. know, I know, and and the gang at the uh, the Cork um, missing persons as well. We were, they were you were well represented and very much spoken about. We'll speak again uh, during the week, Katrina. In the meantime, stay safe, wrap up, and stay warm. And you're doing amazing work. And we're Thanks, extremely Patricia. proud of you and the rest of the gang. Ah, Thanks for joining they're us. Brilliant. Thanks. God bless. Bye bye, Katrina Toomey, as part of the Cork Humanitarian Aid Convoy on the Polish-Ukraine border. What a woman! You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I've had an email in from Elizabeth and I'm going to mention this just in case others have been affected like Elizabeth was and it is to do with tickets for Tom Jones and actually I heard Tom Jones being advertised in the ad break there just before we went into news at uh, 11 and Elizabeth by email says Hi Patricia, my problem is I bought tickets for the 2020 Tom Jones concert I bought them at the Ticketmaster kiosk on Merchants Quay in Cork which now is permanently closed and I paid in cash The twenty. 2020 concert was rescheduled to last year, 2021, and then it was that was cancelled. And the new date now is the 11th of June, 2022. I did I did not apply for a refund, as online information said that only cancelled events were refundable and that reschedule events were not. I still have my 2020 Tom Jones tickets, and I want to find out for certain that they remain valid for the 11th of June concert this year. I believe they are valid, but my efforts to contact Ticketmaster for confirmation on this has failed. We'll be most grateful to you and your listeners if you could throw any light on the situation. So what we did was we got straight through to Aiken Promotions because Aiken Promotions are running the Tom Jones gig to ask them about Elizabeth's tickets and they say... Unfortunately, Elizabeth, your tickets are not valid for this show because the previous show was cancelled and customers were advised to claim refunds from point of purchase all online and phone bookings were refunded directly to the cards they were purchased on. So we have now got back to Elizabeth to contact Ticketmaster directly. Now we've given them her, given her contact details because obviously the way she's been trying to get through to uh, Ticketmaster hasn't worked for her. So there could be others in the same situation. You see, if you booked it online or you booked it on a a credit card or a debit card, the money could have been refunded that way. But it's for people who deal in cash, particularly people who would have physically gone into the ticket mask 
Ticketmaster kiosk, which unfortunately has now since uh, closed. So in case there were others thinking that the tickets that you have in your, I was going to say grubby little pause, but in your hand, the tickets that you have for a concert that's dated 2020, they're not going to be valid for the one on the 11th of June. So hopefully what will happen for Elizabeth is she can get her refund quickly enough and then be able to purchase new tickets for the 11th of June concert because she is obviously a huge fan of the man. And then I mentioned some TV programmes so I spoke about uh, the celebrity uh, dancing, dancing with the stars last night and then people were saying to rem- for me to remind listeners that Holding is on tonight, the Graham Norton, the adaptation of Graham Norton's book that was shot around the Drimmer League and West Cork areas last summer. That's on tonight on ITV at nine o'clock. That's prompted Patton from White to think about TV over the weekend and in particular he's wondering about other listeners' thoughts on the Tommy Tiernan show which is now on, on a Saturday night and I have to say it's the highlight of the weekend for me because I love Tommy Tiernan and I love his style of interviewing. Anyway, Pat says, is wondering, what do people make of the Tommy Tiernan show? He said, at the start, I was glued to it. As for the for most of the guests, none of us knew who they were. And it was really interesting as the stories unfolded to find out about who all these people are. But Pat has noticed in the last few weeks, more and more celebrities are going on the show. And, you know, he cites the example of this week with Mike Murphy on and he said, we've all heard Mike Murphy's stories before. I feel the guests that were on last Saturday, they would be more suited to the Late Late Show rather than the Tommy Tiernan show. And he thinks that Tommy's show is losing its original format. And, and I don't know, I think there was always a smattering of celebrities. I think more cele- more Irish celebrities are coming forward because they want to be interviewed by Tommy Tiernan because Tommy Tiernan has a very unique style about him that seems to bring out different stories that you possibly wouldn't get on the Late Late Show, you wouldn't get on other chat shows I mean yeah this, Mike Murphy I, Mike Murphy's story about the candid camera one that they couldn't put to air because they, they thought the man was going to have a heart attack that had me laughing out loud I have to say it actually had me laughing out loud I also didn't know the story about Mike Murphy going into the coffin and being buried alive at the Mountain Dew Festival in McCroom I hadn't heard him tell that story before other stories I had heard, I still enjoyed it. I just couldn't get over the Mike Murphy. I saw somebody on Twitter say Mike Murphy is 80. I couldn't get over that he's 80. And uh, I think he's still as, as funny as ever. And I thought the girls uh, were very good. And then, of course, the other guest that we didn't know who he was, he had an interesting story to tell as well. So I'm I'm not faulting it. I'm, I'm still in, enjoying it. But Pat, each to their own. Are others, are there too many celebrities, I think is, is Pat's one. Are there too many celebrities now on the Tommy Tiernan show? And should it go back to the the old format where there was very little celebrities it was all unknown people your thoughts welcomed on that to 0818103103 John Paul taking calls you could text our WhatsApp a lot of people reacting to Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners who's out on the Polish-Ukrainian border and people wanting to wish her well, telling her to stay safe. And what an amazing woman that she is. I can see somebody else. Uh, Bernie is saying, I have three free bread- bedrooms in my home. Willingly, I would give them over. Uh, she wants to, us to let Katrina Toomey No, Katrina isn't handling the people who've got accommodation available, you've got, you'll have to go through the Red Cross for that. Now, I do know, I've asked, I was talking to John Paul in the office before I came on air and I've actually asked him if he can get me somebody from the Red Cross because I really want to talk to uh, the Red Cross because it seems by certainly close the business over the weekend, more than 20,000 
families have come forward to offer accommodation to Ukrainian refugees. There's been over 15,000 offers made through the government's pledge portal and that's anything from a spare room to people having a vacant second home, you know, people have, say, holiday home willing to give it up to the refugees. There's another 5,000 housing offers that have been made through, through NGOs. So we're gone to over 2,000 20,000 offers at this stage. Now the Red Cross are beginning to contact what they're saying is small numbers of people who made some of the original 15,000 pledges this week. They're trying to start the process of welcoming the incoming refugees and and the government officials now are saying they're going to have a one-stop shop at Shannon Airport as well because they opened up this one-stop shop centre in Dublin Airport for people arriving. You know, they can get their PPS number, Departments of Justice are there, Social Protection is there and then they direct them on to accommodation and they, you know, if they haven't got accommodation they, they arrange accommodation actually I saw at the weekend that Micheál Martin uh, is um, saying was saying that at this stage five and a half thousand people have arrived from Ukraine many of the, those five and a half thousand people though, have family living over here so they've come to stay with a family it's a small enough number that accommodation has had to be found for them we don't know yet what the full number is going to be but uh, Micheál Martin himself uh, said that uh, he is you know, he's going to speak with his family he certainly is considering taking taking in uh, refugees I know the Green Party leader Eamon Ryan and the Justice Minister Helen McEntee they were probably the first cabinet ministers out to publicly say they are willing to consider housing refugees fleeing from uh, Ukraine and there's explanations in the papers today as to how it'll all be funded. There is the four billion contingency fund, which hasn't the majority of that hasn't been spent. That was set aside for dealing with COVID nineteen response. So Miel Martin is saying some of that could be used to pay for the state's response to help the ref- refugees. Again, the talks are there could be up to a hundred thousand. We literally don't know how many are going to come. And I read a piece actually it was with Katrina and her the the COVID crew that she's are the convoy COVID on the brain the convoy crew that she's with from Cork and they were speaking to refugees saying you know Ireland is open and welcoming of refugees but the majority of the refugees want to stay as close to the Ukrainian border as possible and I was thinking about this at the weekend if God forbid that was us and we were in, had some invading force coming into our country and we, the women and the children had to leave and we would be leaving behind our husbands, our sons, our brothers and having to flee to another country. The first thing, you'd, you, you'd be getting out to try to get safe and particularly try to make the small, the young children safe and the older people safe. But you would want to stay as close to your own country as possible so that when this awful war ends, you can get back on the train, the bus, the boat, the plane, however you got out of the country, you could get back on, on it to go back to your loved ones, to go back to you. Remember, a lot of those young women are leaving behind older parents who were too old refused to leave and felt, you know, never left their country before, not going to leave now. And you'd be rushing back to a husband, rushing back to a son. So we're on the very tip of, as we know, of Europe. And we're, we seem very far away to people from Ukraine. So the bulk of the people that have arrived so far have family members here and people they can stay with. And even the ones that have come to family members, seen some of them on the TV, they're all talking about, we just want to go home, we just want to go home. And that's what happens with war refugees. They arrive, they need to be protected, they need the safety. And then as soon as the war is over, they go back 
so they're not they won't be st- they won't be here for a very long time uh, for for sure but so we've no idea on the numbers that we're we're, we're going to have but let's uh, but there will obviously be from the government's point of view there will be expenditure I mean there's going to be increase in education children going into schools there's going to be increase in, in health where people trying to access uh, health services there's going to be an increase in social welfare you know because they're going to need some money to keep them going so that contingency fund the COVID-19 contingency fund uh, is going to be used but as I say we are I've asked John Paul to see if he can get somebody from the Red Cross to join us because I was looking at a list last the back end of last week on the amount of offers of accommodation that have come forward and after Dublin which is the biggest population base in the country Cork we here in Cork City and County had put forward the largest number of all of the other counties around the country so we can be very proud once again of Cork. So there's a lot of people wondering what's happening and how is the system going to work so we'll see if we can get the Red Cross to join us this week uh, to talk about it. And then there's an email or a text in that I want to that's, that certainly is worthy of a mention for people who are thinking of donating to any of the appeals that are ongoing for the Ukrainian refugees. Hi Patricia, I think the public needs to be better informed about the type of stuff that they're donating to Ukrainian aid. Are people just blind ignorant of the weather conditions? Are are some people using the donation of clothes as a way of cleaning out their rubbish and cleaning out their wardrobes? Who would send T-shirts and high-heeled shoes to a country where it goes down to minus 10 degrees at night? Many of it is just going to end up in landfill. Landfill. I think it's always better to give cash donations to aid agencies. I recall years ago when I was working with Concern, somebody handed in flip-flops and a box of chocolates. We were collecting aid for the earthquake in Haiti. And the high, thank you for that, and the high heels, I take it, made it, got a lot of publicity. The red size six out of done stores. They looked brand new. They looked like they'd never been worn pair of a red uh, high stilettos and it was the man unpacking the clothes said you know if somebody's fleeing war it's a good pair of decent runners or a good pair of warm boots that they're looking for certainly not high heels and I know people mean well but that listener is right if you are planning on donating to some of the convoys that are going out just stop and think it's freezing cold over there so whatever you're putting into the bag think about yourself if it's children's clothing you're, you're putting in think about your own children think about if you were in that situation and somebody was to hand you a bag that had been donated what would you want in that bag what type of clothes would you want what kind of toiletries would you would you want and donate that way but that listener is right the best way is to get the money to the agencies who can buy in then exactly what they need and they're working with the refugees on the ground thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs with Munster Technological University enhance your career prospects with MT use range of full-time, part-time and professional courses. Succeeding together with mtu.ie. An operations manager is needed for the North Cork slash Limerick area. Email a CV in word format please to carry.murphy at osborne.ie Industrial plumber slash pipe fitter needed for Cork. CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com A communications assistant and cleaner Wanted for the Sexual Health Centre in Cork, phone Caroline at 085-87-09858. And junior and senior stylists are wanted. That's for Nova Hair. They're based in Dunmanway. 
email novahair.manwe at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Now last Friday, the Oireachtas Joint Committee on Disability Matters published a report entitled Ensuring Independent Living and the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, which looks at the lived experience of people with disabilities on the issues that affect them and their families and their carers. Fianna Fáil, Cork North Westall, Deputy Michael Moynihan is the chair of the Disability Matters Committee and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. Uh, And you're welcome. Now, this is the lived experience of people with disabilities. You asked people to engage with you. Did you get a good response? Well, we did. At the very start of it, when the committee was formed around the 1st of October of 2020, uh, we were, I suppose, we, we are not a sectoral committee. We were a specific committee dealing with disability matters. And we were to set our own terms of reference on this. We're the first disability matters committee in Europe in terms of looking at people with disabilities and how uh, they are affected, how society is putting barriers in them. So the first thing we did was that we looked for... a um, for the lived experience of people with disabilities, uh, their families and their carers and their supports. And we got an enormous uh, response over a six or seven week period. And people were very, very honest about telling the challenges that they had. We had some of the disability organisations who put in uh, submissions as well, telling about, you know, how they are uh, trying to make better for people with disabilities. And then individuals put in uh, submissions on the challenges that they have, have had right through from very young children to elderly people with disabilities. And some of the organisations then that would be... Um, the organisations who would be the service providers uh, put in submissions as well. And I think that it is fair to say that the evidence that we had been given on the submissions was quite eye-opening for a lot of people. And then we set about setting our terms of reference based on the submissions that we got. We put our terms of reference before the doll in January or in December 2020. And then we set about in COVID to try and have the meetings, but we had the meetings virtually for the very start. And then we went on to physical meetings over the last um, 12 months, really. And each Thursday morning, we had meetings for three, three and a half hours. And they went through, uh, people come with their evidence. They would come, uh, uh, some of the organisations, some of the adversary groups, some of the individuals, some of the families, they're telling of the challenges that they face in their daily lives. And I suppose the lived experience of people with disabilities. And in order for people to live as independently as possible, it is vital, isn't it, to listen to their views and the views of the people who support them? It is hugely important. And, you know, there is one powerful phrase, and that is nothing about us without us. And that has to be at the very heart of how we order society to ensure that people with disabilities had the best form of independent living. So we we got all the evidence, we looked at all the various uh, reports, the various individual stories, the various stories, and we tried to compile them because what we want to do is put the report together. We want to then go to all the government departments, ministers and secretary generals and ask them, you know, to 
look at the report and see how they can change their departments or ensure that they are uh, that this report is one of a number of reports which we hope to do uh, in the Disability Matters Committee because we have an awful lot more to do in terms of education. We have an awful lot more in terms to do with, with health and we have different modules that we will be looking at over the next number of months. But this is the first and we have looked, I suppose, at uh, I suppose equal participation in society equal choice about where to live, independent living, uh, access to support services and decision making. And uh, these are hugely important. But I suppose the one word that we would be looking at for the entire society, like as we start from where where we're at now, I think the attitude and that we do have to change the attitude of society. We right through uh, every aspect of society for people with disabilities. We have to look at their abilities, and we have to look at how we are accommodating society, or building society, to make sure that they can have a fulfilled life. And that's and that starts at the top, and that's it really is from the top down. Consistent poverty. Would you say that's a reality for many people with a it, disability? It is. It is uh, absolutely. Uh, the cost of disability, the cost of the disability report, uh, you know, the, the report was issued uh, separate to ours on the cost of disability and the challenge that they face. Everybody with a disability, you know, away and above the cost of people living with, without a disability, that they there is an increased cost in it. And from a very early uh, from young children right up there is a cost of disability and we need to have that looked at in a major way you know to reflect the 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 challenges that are there you know there's some things in relation to the um, housing adaptation grants or to reflect the cost of disability on families you know uh, families who have um, are making accommodation for a person with disability in their own home and because they are the homeowners to their income is taken into account rather than the income details of the person with disabilities. So the money should actually follow the person with a disability. No, there should be, you know, should be changes. Yeah. What about carers allowance? Did you, did you look at that? Allowance, the carers allowance, we looked at it and we will have uh, the minister in before us this uh, the 24th in terms of it. But the carers allowance, and I think that this is um, crucial, it, you know, it is means tested at the moment and it has to be care tested. I think it is very simple, the phraseology, the, the, the care tested. If a person um, requires the full-time care and assistance, that they should be given the carers allowance. You know, going back over 20 years ago now, they brought in the carers benefit, which was for two years. And many people, when they claim for the carers benefit for two years because of income from a spouse or a partner, uh, they can no longer get the care. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cares alone. And their lift providing the care for a, a, for a sibling, for a child, or for an elderly parent, and they're getting no recognition for it. The terms of the CARES allowance has to be looked at um, very much so. Like, you know, I suppose equal participation in society, we looked at that under one heading. The, the cost of disability, the reflect the disability for uh, um, housing adoption grants, the CARES allowance, and ensure accessibility to buildings and housing, and universal design principle, including the, uh, you know, for all, uh, to be on the curriculum for all second and third level uh, education. So we need everybody to be talking about this and to understand the challenges that are there. Okay. You- and, I, and I know you also would like to see a citizens' assembly on disability rights. Yes, I think so. See, I suppose my opinion is that there is, you know, and I'm not saying it in a negative way, but I do. I just think that there is, um, I, I suppose a lack of information, lack of awareness, and that's why I said that the change, the, the attitude has to change. The attitude has to be more positive and more encompassing, and make sure that you know that that, that we, everybody has a place to play in society. The other song, the, uh, everybody has a place in the choir. Everybody has a place in society, and we need to have that society created that will ensure that everybody can get the to their potential that they can participate but potential and I think you know there's over 20% of, our, of the population of Ireland now with some disability or other okay. and we should that is one fifth of the population Okay so and, and just just on um, I, I did read this report I did see this at the weekend and one of our listeners Maria is picking up on it said would you please ask uh, Deputy Michael Moynihan what did he make of the report in the Irish Examiner last Saturday reporting that parents have been ordered to attend training courses so that they can carry out therapies on their own children with uh, disabilities who remain on long uh, waiting lists Maria said I'm a mother of two children with uh, disabilities I'm already nearly at breaking point I'm not a trained therapist if I I'm told if I don't do these courses my child will be taken off the list I think that is the unmet need of young kids with disabilities I've said it in your programme before I, I, I believe that the future government will be apologising for the way they're being treated in society today I think that there's all kinds of of excuses and gimmicks being organised to try and meet the unmet need of people with disabilities and uh, various therapies, occupational therapies, speech and language therapies. We should be providing them at a very young age. The evidence is very clear that early intervention is the key. Early intervention is the key. That has been recognised, but it is not being met. There is a huge issue in terms of people getting um, occupational therapy, speech and language therapy on the public uh, on the public system, it simply isn't there at the moment. And you know, the last two years have compounded that because they, you know, they were providing occupational therapy or speech and language therapy online, which is not acceptable for people that need these services. And I think the report in the examiner it does it, it, it just makes my 
skin crawl, to be honest, when we're talking about, okay, we have to push this back onto the parents or to the family support. It's not fair. We, as it's a just, state, yeah. have to be, we have to stand up to this. And I, The unmet need, and, you know, Thursday morning after Thursday morning, we have families coming in giving their experience and their stories and their challenges. And we have to be sure that the unmet need is met. Because but is, but isn't there a recruitment issue? I mean, I saw Anne, Anne Rabbit, the Minister for Disabilities, saying that they're working to fill over 270 vacant posts to address the current waiting lists. There's a huge recruitment. Uh, and like there are people that would have been on uh, the public working as therapists in the public sector and they have leave it for private sector because they get so frustrated with the public system. They get so frustrated with the system that's there. And, you know, I, I going back to it, like, I, I think that this issue in terms of recruiting people, how serious have they been about recruiting people? This morning alone, I had somebody in who was extremely well qualified and they were trying to get onto the public system to get a job in it within the public system. The system and the families are crying out for these services but they are being pushed from pillar to post saying that they can't do and they will do and they won't do. They should be taken on immediately because there is so much work to be done. There's so much to catch up to the challenges that are there, particularly on the unmet need for young kids. And, you know, this notion that, OK, we're going to uh, train the parents, that's not successful. Like, there are people that would have spent uh, years in college studying and understanding the occupational therapy, the speech and language therapy, that can't be taught overnight. Yeah, and parents parents will always back up the therapist, but you can't expect them to be the therapist. I'm going to have to leave it there. I know it's an issue uh, we certainly will return to, uh, Michael, but thank you for that and thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Good morning to you. That is uh, Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Michael Moynihan who is Chair of the Oireachtas Joint Committee on Disability Matters 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. Uh, taking your calls by the way for Annalise Dressel on Nutritional Therapist. I can already see some texts coming in with questions for Annalise. You can get them in at 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Our monthly insurance slot this month, I'm joined by Paul Kavanagh, who's with McCarthy Insurance Group. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. And, and we're very much thinking of the bank holiday weekend ahead. So you, you want to focus on road safety, and we're also going to talk about home uh, safety. And and when it comes to road safety, it's avoiding getting penalty points because that can cause your insurance to go up. Absolutely. Um, uh, I was shocked when I read the recent statistics that over 22,000 motorists got penalty points last year for holding a mobile phone. Um, it's a serious one, and there's no doubt about it. Um, any of us that know that are driving, that um, taking a call or texting or you know, and in the survey done by the Road Safety Authority, it seems that, you know, over 60% of us want to read that phone when we're driving. And, you know, it's 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 just, we we have to cut it out. We have to stop it. Um, I know in my new iPhone there, I've noticed now, it, it asks me, you're not driving, which, which is a deterrent to me. I have to answer two questions to get to the message if I want to get to it. Uh, and I have, I've also turned off my message notifications so I don't, there's no noises or anything. So when I'm driving, I'm now driving. 
Yeah, and I mean, when you think back uh, to the day, Paul, when we didn't have mobile phones, you drove from A to B and if somebody needed to contact you, you had to wait until you got to B to be contacted. That is it. But, but I, look, we're living in a world now, Patricia, where, you know, everybody is demanding the answer yesterday. And um, with everything that's happening, I suppose everybody's got a mobile phone and, you know, 80% of us have a smartphone. So And there's so many different things between apps and social media and everything. And you're trying to keep up with everything as the day goes on. But my my word here is please just put the mobile phone away. Yeah, and keep your eyes on the road. I mean, even answering a call, even if it's hands-free, you, you, you're not, con- I mean, the Road Safety Authority will say you're not concentrating exactly. if you're having you're, a conversation with somebody I, I, else. I've, try, I've tried it myself. I've got hands-free yeah. in the car and, you know, I'll finish on a call and then go, did I go through the toll there? Uh, yeah, oh. we've, yeah, we've all done that. We've, you know, and yeah. you're going, oh, that's wrong. So you're dead right. This For a split second, I think that advert that they have on the television at the moment, the Road Safety Authority, about taking your eye off the ball. It's powerful. For a split second. Yeah. And it's the devastation that it can cause. Yes, road deaths were down last year. Absolutely fantastic. However, serious injuries, I couldn't believe it, 1,091. I'm talking serious injuries now. Spinal injuries. Injuries where people are in hospital for weeks and months and maybe even years. Uh, and all the bids that we're taking up with this, the, so the serious injuries get forgotten and we all concentrate on the deaths. But I think the Road Safety Authority now have recognised this and are saying, look, everybody, we need, we need to cop ourselves on a bit. Yeah, I was speaking to somebody recently who had to pay a visit to the National Rehabilitation Hospital in Dunleary. Now, luckily, it was only for something very minor uh, that he had to go there for himself. But he said it was just stark to see the people with you know major spinal injuries, young men, uh, not all young men, but predominantly many young men, lives just destroyed. And you're right, when we... we we've, always focus on the road deaths and there's always a sense of relief when we hear that there has been a drop in road deaths year on on year but we forget the knock on if there's been a drop on road deaths there's probably still the same amount of accidents so somebody survived the accident their life and their family's life will never be the same again Absolutely, families, friends workmates, everything everybody gets affected by this and as well as that what really made me focus on this was is that we're we're also tying up a thousand bids? Yeah, yeah. There's that as well. Yeah. Okay. So leave leave the uh, phone, and uh, you're also you know just reminding people about yeah, high vis jackets. Well, you know, I suppose uh, this weekend I I, I've, I I saw a lot. You know, once once the weather improved, a lot of people out walking. Once again this morning, a lot of people out walking. You know. And people say, oh, it's bright now, I don't need the high-vis vest. You do need the high-vis vest because if you're driving on the road, uh, any of our listeners there are driving on the road, next thing somebody with no high-vis attempts to cross the road, they're on top of you before you know it. And, and, and the high-vis really makes you stand out. So, you know, don't be ashamed to wear the high-vis. Uh, um, I see it on country roads, I do a lot of driving, and on country roads, just the, the, the country people wearing the high-vis vest Absolutely fantastic. They have no footpaths, you know, and they need to get out walking as well. So wear the high-vis vest. There's not, you know, there's nothing, there's no stigma attached to it. It's, it, I think it's a great, a great 
thing to do and it really makes you stand out and yes the driver will see you yeah and we're heading into like this wonderful long bank holiday four days off and there will be extra traffic on the road many people are planning journeys going to get a bit of a trip away maybe you know going up the country or down the country to see family or maybe just going away for a, a few days make sure your car is roadworthy Absolutely. You know, we haven't been out in two years, right? Or we haven't been down that road in two years, wherever you're going to go to see relatives, friends, or maybe back to West Cork or carry at the weekend. You know, just check the vehicle is okay before you go. I mean, it, it, a couple of small checks that need to be done. Make sure your tyres have the correct pressure on them and that they're in good condition, you know. And if you call to any of the tyre shops and just say, how are my tyres? They will let you know in fairness, mm-hmm. uh, I, I got a bed nick on one of my tyres there, off of a curb, would you believe? And and I was a bit unsure about it, so I said, no, go away, go go up to uh, Mike's tyres there in Formoy. And I drove up and your man said to me, Paul, that tyre's in serious condition. Wow. So, so I just said, whoa, whoa. Yeah, just get, as well. Just get as it well. sorted, get it you know? sorted. And we had Eamon Ryan, and I know people were almost making fun of Eamon Ryan, telling us all to slow down to conserve, uh, conserve fuel. But it does work. It does. I've I've actually been watching it since he said it. You know, and yeah. it does it does work some bit, but more so. There's no. What's all this rushing about? Yeah, well said. Well said. You know what I mean. Let, let, let's just, especially now for this weekend coming up. You know what I mean. It's a long. We've Cheltenham coming up to the to, to the weekend. Then we've got the St Patrick's Day, the parades, people going everywhere. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's a long time. So. You know, everybody slow down. We'll all get there. Yeah, and there's nice weather forecast. We just want everybody to enjoy it. Now, you also want to give advice on uh, home safety and keeping our, our, our homes safe, particularly this bank holiday weekend. What's the, the general advice? I suppose house fires is the one we all worry about. And as you just said, we could be going away. We could be going down for the first time in two years. We're heading away there to see relatives, friends, or down to a holiday home or something like that. Before you go, make sure you have everything switched off. It's amazing. We don't think sometimes. We just go uh, and make sure that you've everything switched off. If there's any wa- um, uh, electric fires plugged in or anything like that, just make sure everything is switched off. Uh, but more importantly, that your alarm is switched on if you have an alarm. So it, it, it's, it's, it's about... We, we look at house fires, and, and after we sit back and look at the house fires after the event, it's amazing what you find. Bad wiring, faulty phone chargers left plugged in, leaving cookers unattended, uh, switched on, um, chip pens, uh, as as we know, are, are a lethal. Uh, and still an issue, still an still an issue, particularly, and we've all been guilty of it at some stage. People coming back from a few drinks. Oh, I'm feeling hungry. And yep. you might turn on the chip pan and then you're waiting for it to heat up and fall asleep. I and mean, God knows there's been a lot of fires started that way. Well, the main thing, I suppose, that, that I always say to people, don't throw a, a bucket of water or a pan of water in it. That's the worst thing you can do. Yeah, yeah. D- dampen a towel lightly and throw it over. If nothing has happened, get the hell out of there and ring 999. Yeah, I make sure everybody's out of the house. The one thing then, if God... You can can replace the house, Patricia. Yeah, yeah. replace the person. Well said, Paul. But the one thing about, if God forbid there was a house fire, Paul, and it's the one kind of thing you'll hear a lot of people talk about, the the sum that you insure for the building of the house, and I only mentioned this earlier on when when I knew you were coming on. I mean, obviously, 
the how the cost of building a house has gone up. Is that something we all need to look at when we're renewing our house insurance? Absolutely. We all need to look at this now. We have an awful habit. We get the, I think I said it last month, we get the renewal notice in the door. We have a quick look at it. We let it up in the kitchen table and we do no more about it. You need to look at it. You need to check your sum insured. I had a huge argument with somebody recently where they were only increasing their building to from 150 to 170 and they were nearly blaming me for it. And I was going, hold on a minute. I looked at their house on, on, on um, Google Maps said, your house is worth at least 300000 to rebuild. No doubt about it. In my mind, if I were you, I'd ask, actually ask an expert, ask a builder. The cost of building materials has gone through the roof. I mean, it's in the order of 40%, which is crazy. Timber, slates, glass, metal. I was speaking to a builder yesterday who told me that they'll be lucky to have steel in next month. They'll be lucky to have steel in. Yeah. So ask anyone so, trying to build a property at the moment. Back to the whole COVID thing, back to the Panama Canal, back to the supply chain, and now we've the war in Ukraine. Everything is just slowing down, and and the prices are going through the roof. And of course, as you said earlier, the fuel costs are going through the roof. So it wouldn't at all surprise me if rebuilding costs weren't up at fifty percent by the end of the year. Do you reckon a lot of us have our homes underinsured? Purely on the building costs, yeah. Absolutely. From what I look at, uh, definitely, the buildings are the most important thing because the buildings are the fixed structure and they include the fitted kitchen, the timber floors, the fitted wardrobes. They're all your building because if you're... The, way I, the simple rule of thumb with me is if you, were, if you sold your house and you were leaving tomorrow morning, what would you take with you? They're the contents. What you leave behind is the building. And the rule of thumb is, however much your house is worth, the build, the rebuild is seventy five percent. Is it? Is that the rule of well, thumb? No, not necessarily, but we're finding that is that it, people are underinsuring by that amount. Ah. So, so if you ha- if your building should be three hundred thousand, mm. and you insure it for two hundred thousand, then you will only get two thirds of your claim. Because you're insuring for 200000 instead of 300000 All right, I know. Okay. All right, that's something I think we all need to... We all need to do it. We all need to do it. We've, we've done it now in, in, in a few areas. We've highlighted And since we've highlighted, people have come back and said, I would have never thought of that. Do you recommend home emergency assist? And if so, what is well, it? it? It's becoming very popular and, and, and it's available on most policies, not all. But it's available on most, and and the whole idea behind it is that you can solve the problem before it becomes a real problem. So slates off, uh, glass damaged, boiler backfiring. Um, you know that you can get to these. I, I did want to mention as well too, too, because I came across two fires. Would you believe uh, since Christmas, and one was called by uh, caused by a condenser dryer. Now, what's that? That's it's, that's your tumble dryer, but there's no outlet pipe. It's going. It's internal. Mm. Just moves away internal. And, and and you know what I mean. I've seen these. What happens is all the the I think it's called the lint. Yeah. From from the it's clothes. Like the, it's like the fluff that comes off. Fluffy. That, that yeah, builds yeah. up. That builds up. Yeah. And next thing with the heat of the dryer, that just takes off. And, and they get the extremely warm. I, I have one of oh. those cleanser dryers and they really do get warm. So, they so, do. so keep a close eye on that. And the last one is portable heaters. And everybody's probably thinking, what's he on about now? Any type of a portable heater. Let's, if the plug is overheating, you've got a problem. That's what I always say. Check the plug. Put your hand on the plug 
and if you feel that it's overheating, you have a problem. What I saw recently really disturbed me. It was one of those portable heaters, you know, those oil heaters, they look like a radiator. Yeah, yeah. If the thermostat goes on them, and I believe it is a problem with them, if the thermostat goes on them, it means that they're constantly on and the oil is boiling inside them. And I saw one recently explode. Goodness. And if, and if it's constantly on, it's also running. And it's it's running your electricity as well. If it's if it's constantly on, okay. As always, you're a mine of information, and you always recommend for people to go to uh, brokers because brokers are there to hold your hand and help you get the best settlement. If God forbid you do have a claim, listen, Paul. Enjoy your bank holiday weekend. We'll talk again to you next month. And thanks for joining us this morning. Same to you. Thank Good you. morning to you. Bye bye. Paul Kavanagh there, who is with McCarthy Insurance Group. 0818 103 103. We're looking for your questions for Annalise Drissel, please, our nutritional therapist. Or you can text her WhatsApp. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I want to say hi to Theresa Ring in Ballon Hasek, who I know is a big fan of the programme. And I was talking to Theresa over the weekend. Hope you have a lovely day, Theresa. And uh, it was good to find you so well on uh, Sunday. And hi to your daughter, Noreen, as well. And by the way, I spotted this at the weekend. I actually, I think at one stage, either retweeted it or put it out on Facebook until I realised that it was, uh, well, I suppose, kind of fake news or false news and it's this video that's doing the rounds of that beautiful song Endless Love and there's a video doing the rounds of Endless Love with purporting to be President Zelensky and his wife singing it in happier times they're both singing into microphones both got guitars and it's a beautiful beautiful version of Endless Love but unfortunately it's not the Ukrainian president and his wife though I have to say it does look like both President Zelensky and I have seen photographs of his wife. It does look like his wife as well from, a, say, a number of years ago, younger versions of them. It isn't them. I have to say, I like to think that in happier times, that's exactly something President Zelensky would do with his wife because he really is a family man. And I know that was one of the things when he came into power in Ukraine. It's a kind of a big Russian tradition and any of, any of us certainly that went to Belarus would know about it. Every sort of public office you'll go into, there would be a, pres- a photograph of the president up on the wall in the case of Belarus, it's Lukashenko, but if and obviously for Russia, it'd be President Vladimir Putin. There'd be pictures all over every single public office. I think by law has to have a picture of the president up. And seemingly when President Zelensky came into power, he said to all of his uh, people, I don't want pictures of me up on the walls of any of your offices. He said to all of the government ministers, he said, put up a family photograph, your own family photograph in it. And he said, that's a nice thing to look at every day. And I just thought that was the mark of the man. So that video doing the rounds, it's on YouTube. It's beautiful. It's a gorgeous version. They are a Russian couple, but it just doesn't. But as I say, I like to think that that's exactly like something President Zelensky would uh, do. 0818103103 and of course the first hand accounts of war are only happening because we have such very, very brave journalists and photographers who travel into those war zones and report so that we can find out 
exactly what's going on, unlike the Russians themselves, who haven't a clue what's going on because they're not allowed to see the reports of what's happening in the uh, Ukraine. And so many journalists from all over the world and photographers have very bravely gone to Ukraine and they're in the heart of some of the, of the worst shelling and bombing that's going on at the moment. And of course, I was so saddened to hear at the weekend that an award-winning American journalist was shot dead by Russian forces. Happened in the Ukraine yesterday and it's made him the first foreign member of the press to die while reporting on this war in Ukraine. And he is a gentleman by the name of Brent Renord. He was just 50. He was travelling in a car with other journalists when troops opened fire on the vehicle. He was shot in the neck and he died instantly. His colleague, a photographer, was wounded. He received medical attention in hospital. His colleague described that they crossed over a bridge in Erpin, which of course is close to Kiev. Uh, to try and film the refugees fleeing because Erpin has been under constant bombardment and this he, the, the colleague the photographer who was injured said we crossed the checkpoint and he said they just started shooting at us so he said the driver turned around we were leaving the checkpoint and he said they just kept shooting and shooting and unfortunately this uh, journalist was shot uh, dead and Jane Ferguson who's a reporter with PBS NewsHour uh, said she was on the roadside when Mr Reynard was lay under a blanket after being killed and he said Ukrainian medics in fairness fairness to them did everything they could to try to help him at that stage but it's believed he died instantly. That reporter was quoted a Ukrainian police officer turning around and saying tell America, tell the world this is what is happening in our uh, country. There was a third victim that was a a Ukrainian and he was also uh, wounded and uh, Brent Reynard had worked for NBC. He'd been worked with HPO and he was also a mem- had worked with the New York Times because the initial reports were that he was on an assignment from the New York Times because his identity card was found on his body and his identity card said he was with the New York Times but the paper clarified he wasn't working for them at the time of uh, his death he was obviously out there doing some freelance work but just so so saddened you know somebody who goes out there to try to get the story out to try to let people know exactly what is happening and he has been cut down in the prime of his life. And one of our own, the wonderful Mark Condren, the wonderful photographer for Castletown, from Castletown Roach, who works for the Irish Independent, he's out there with uh, Fiona Sheehan. And actually, I'm sending back stunning photographs, just as always. Mark has got such an eye for that, for situation. And he's been to lots of situations like that in the past, where there's war or where there's been earthquakes or some kind of disasters. And he always, his picture tells the story and again I've been watching the Irish Independence specifically for Mark's photographs they, they are incredible but actually he's written a piece actually in today's Irish Independent as I say he doesn't often write, piece, write pieces he lets his picture tell uh, the stories but you know he's talking about what has struck him about this war is the dignity and the spirit of the Ukrainian uh, people. Uh, And he said particularly the ones that he's photographing as they're coming in in cars, in vans, in buses and on foot as they're crossing over the Polish border. He said they're just the dignity and the spirit of them. He said some of the people have been travelling for up to three days solid and many of them would have left their homes weeks 
earlier and they'd gone firstly into western Ukraine hoping they were going to be safe there but now the bombing has started in western Ukraine and they had to make that decision to go over the border into uh, Poland and then he also speaks in the article today something I touched on with Katrina uh, Toomey the warm reception they're receiving in Poland and beyond he said it's just really really stunning uh, to see Uh, Yeah, it's just, and these people, they're just in absolute shock, but they have just this this dignity and the spirit. I think we'll all, it's something in years to come, we'll all speak about the spirit of the Ukrainian uh, people and hopefully we'll be doing that sooner rather than later and that this war will end. 0818103103 John Paul taking new calls we are looking for questions please for Annalise Drissel our nutritional therapist and you can text our WhatsApp a question to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Bingo continues in Butterwinch GAA Hall on Monday nights so it's on tonight at 8 they have a jackpot of 6,250 euro Shambali Moore Bingo that's starting back at the new earlier time of 8pm from tomorrow night, Tuesday the 15th of March. Jackpot there, €1,450. 45 calls or less, all are welcome. The National Council for the Blind are holding a network meeting this Wednesday. It's to help the blind and the visually impaired work with people in the local community to break down barriers that they're facing in their area. If you'd like to attend, you can register online at www.ncbi.ie or you can call them on 1-800-911-2510 or their email address is campaigns at ncbi.ie. And a massive commemoration and thanksgiving will be held in St Mary's Church in Mallow this coming Friday at half past seven. And it's to remember all those who've been affected in any way by the recent COVID-19 pandemic. And also to give thanks for all of our frontline workers. All are welcome to attend. But it's going to be a very special Mass in St Mary's Church in Mallow next Friday night, half past seven. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Thank you to Rena, an honest lady. She's contacted us to say she found a sum of money along with a cheque in an envelope and she found it at Blackpool Shopping Centre Car Park Friday. It was about midday, around noon on Friday. If you know or heard of somebody or it was yourself lost a sum of money along with a cheque, Rena has very honestly handed it in to the Anglesey Garda station so they're looking after that sum of money and the cheque so if you heard of anybody that lost it get tell them please to get on to the Garda station in Anglesey Street they are looking after it and well done to uh, Rena. I love that kind of honesty on behalf of people questions coming in for Annalise thank you for those some people on mask wearing and this is when I mentioned some people are some uh, immunologists, including the Trinity College Dublin immunologist, Professor Kingston Mills, is calling for a return of the compulsory wearing of masks, particularly on public transport or in retail. And uh, he's worried about the number of hospitalisations because the hospitalisation numbers have gone up. Now, the knock on hasn't been reflected in ICU 
But I have to say yes, yes, because often what happens is that when the numbers rise in hospital, it can take 10 days. Somebody getting admitted to hospital, if they get very unwell, it's 10 days from when they get admitted to hospital to when they eventually need ICU. So the ICU numbers could go up uh, yet. Is that the answer to go back to compulsory wearing of masks? Patricia, I, says the listener, Trish, I think masks should be brought bought back in. I'm still wearing mine, but I'm looking out and about and a lot are not. And I do agree with some of your other listeners after St. Patrick's weekend with a lot of people out socialising. Just wait and see. We, the numbers will have gone crazy. Hi, Patricia. I was on a bus last Tuesday going into the city absolutely horrified at the number of elderly people on the bus not one of them wearing a mask we blame the young people for everything to do with Covid but I can tell you that most of the people on that bus who were wearing masks were young people so well done to each and every one of them and to the older people please 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 will you put your mask on particularly when you're on public transport or when you are in a shop Thank you for that. And then there are a number of people wanting me to talk about and did I know about the price of coal going up? I did give you some example of some of your texts coming in. Patricia heard at the weekend that a 40 kg bag of coal, it will rise by 30 euro by April. There is a 4 euro 50 cent rise from today. And then later on in April, there's another 2 euro 50. And then... Let's not talk about carbon tax. The carbon tax goes on from the beginning of May. Who can afford that price on a fixed income? That's from Mary in Glamworth. And somebody else by WhatsApp, John, on the same issue says, Patricia, the price of coal rising by €7 a bag. This is simply unsustainable for most people. The government's going to have to step in here and help people who can't afford to buy coal. At the end of the day, coal is the poor person's heating, says John. Now, we last week started discussing, I think we were talking about home heating oil and how expensive home heating oil was gone. And that led to a flurry of calls from people saying, just bought my weekly fill of coal or I get it once a month, can't get over how expensive it it has gone. And that was up to last week. But those listeners are right. Coal has gone up again. And CPL Fuels, they've announced that they're raising the cost of a bag of coal by €7. John is correct. It goes up. It's four fifty today. And then on the 4th of April, which is less than a month, there's another 250 going on. So from what you're paying today, by the 4th of April, it'll have gone up by €7. Euro. Now, the CPL Fuels are saying this isn't price gorging on their behalf. They're saying, look, they've seen a spike in the price of oil, kerosene and fuel at the pumps. And they're making the point it's no different in the solid fuel industry. They can't avoid these costs and therefore they have to pass them on to the consumer. But it's, as a number of our listeners are saying, that's all well and good passing it on to the consumer. But you can pass it on to the consumer if the consumer can afford to pay it. But if you're living on a very fixed income and you know exactly every week I have that amount for coal, I have that amount to put away from my electricity, I'll allow that much for food, there's very little wiggle room. And again, where does the wiggle room that we've seen? Food poverty. People end up saving on their food and buying the coal or the oil or the gas or whatever it is in, instead. And just on people buying 
and paying for fuel. Just to remind listeners that from today, the €125, this is the once-off extra fuel allowance payment that's get that would be paid to I think there's something that like 372 households already are entitled to uh, fuel allowance so the payment arrives to people from today now that's not to say that everyone who gets the fuel allowance will be getting their payment today whatever day you normally get paid whatever social welfare payment you're on whatever day you get it on you will notice this week there will be an additional €125. It is a one-off payment. You don't have to apply for it. If you're already getting your fuel allowance, then you'll get this extra €125. But it is just, it is a one-off payment that was agreed by the government and they're trying to do their best to mitigate against the rising energy costs, even though with the way coal is going up, with the way home heating oil is going up, I just don't know how far that €125 that gets paid this week is going to go. And for people, say, who normally get their social welfare payment on a Thursday or a Friday, a reminder that we covered this last week on the programme because Thursday is St Patrick's Day and Friday is this one-off public holiday for this year. Post offices obviously are going to be closed. So you, your payment will be available for collection on Wednesday of this week. So you can go to your post office on Wednesday and if you're already getting a fuel allowance payment, then you'll also notice that extra €125 on Wednesday. And if your payment normally goes into the bank, then you can check your bank accounts because they're expected to go through on Wednesday as well. But the €125, the additional, it's a one-off additional fuel allowance gets paid this week. And while... It's kind of interesting, you know, I was looking in the papers today and a lot of the newspapers are reporting about the the extra fuel allowance and the fact that it's been paid from this week to families who are entitled to a fuel allowance. And I was looking at it in one of the papers, I think it was in the Daily Mail, and they were talking about the fuel allowance. And the piece right beside it was showed that spending in pubs went up 49% in the month of February. Now, that was to do with a lot of people saying goodbye to the COVID-19 restrictions. And wait for this. The spend per day in this country in pubs was 1.6 million euro in a day. And I remember looking and I said, that can't be right. That's not, is that that what they spend on everything? And it's not. 1.6 million a day was spent throughout the month of February. And it's figures that have been released from the AIB. And it, but it, it does show that inflation is beginning to bite. It's consumers, they're looking at consumer spending. They do this obviously at the end of every month. They look back at the month that was and they look at consumer spending. And what are people spending money on and where are people focusing any additional money that they may have and has there been an increase in a different sector when it comes to what people are spending their hard-earned cash on and they say consumer spending in February across the hospitality sector and in general was up and that was as people obviously returned to socialising again. Now they have noticed the impact of inflation is starting to bite on uh, consumers and in particular they were talking about grocery spending. Grocery spending increased during the month of February it went up 8% but the number of transactions fell and they say that's a sign of inflation hitting people's pockets so people went out they may have spent spent more when they went out and doing one big shop but what people are starting to do is rather than do maybe one big shop and two small shops 
two small, you know, little trips to the supermarket. They'll go out and they'll just do the one big one and maybe just one additional one during the week, maybe to top up on the bread and the milk, etc. And they say that that's always an indicator that inflation is starting to hit when people travel less to the supermarkets. But the one that really caught my eye was that on average in this country, people spent 1.6 million euro a day in pubs throughout the month of February. And it was those in Dublin. Now, you know, at the end of the day, Dublin has the biggest population of the entire country. Uh, in, for, for Dublin, I don't know if this is city or county or just the city, but a half a million euro a day was spent more than in any other county in, in Ireland. But isn't that staggering? And you just it just got me thinking, you know, we've got on one hand, people struggling with fuel costs and wondering how they're going to afford this additional seven euro that'll be going on a bag of coal. And on the other side of that, the people who couldn't wait to get out and their pent up savings. We've heard so much about this pent up savings, but to the tune of 1.6 million spent and a rise of 49% on what people spent in the pubs. 0818 103 John Paul taking your calls. We are in particular looking for questions for Annalise Drussell, our nutritional therapist, 0862 103. 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Nutritional advice on C103 with Somega, Ireland's purest range of health supplements to get you through winter. Better nutrition, better health with Somega, a West Cork company. GoSomega.com. And we're off to the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic, where I'm joined by Annalise Drussell. Uh, good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome to the programme. Let's see how many of these questions that we can get uh, through. Uh, Margaret says, I suffer from cellulitis. On my legs, it's itchy and light flakes falling off the skin. Would you recommend anything for it, please? Okay, so now cellulitis tends to be something different, actually, Patricia. In my understanding of cellulitis is that it's an infection that occurs in the blood from a bacteria that normally lives on the skin, but in in some cases for people that might have immune system issues, it can actually cause cellulitis and blood poisoning. So that would be a, a, a different thing than, um, you know, just itchy skin. So normally what I would suggest to people who've got long-term cellulitis, so they're very prone to getting it, is that they need to make sure that the bacteria on their skin is healthy and that their skin is healthy. Um, so taking actually omega-3 fats is a very good way of keeping the skin healthy from the inside and then not using any products on there that have strong chemicals that will kill you know, the natural good bacteria. And using something like grapefruit seed extract when you're washing just to make sure that you're cleaning the skin very well and removing any kind of bacteria that could potentially cause infection would be another way. Now, that that would be if it was cellulitis, um, people prone to getting it. But if it's just skin that becomes very dry and itchy, the same advice I'd give about taking the omega-3 fat Put the fats in from the inside out because what will happen will be that you'll be kind of getting the cell membrane lovely and plumped up with those nice fats 
and it'll help waterproof them effectively. And then use a, a good cream, um, an all-over body cream. We sell a lot of the Trilogy body oil here, Patricia. It's made from rose hips and it's really good for skin health and very few people ever, ever have had a reaction to it. So it's beautifully moisturising. But if you can't get your hands on the Trilogy body oil, even just um, a, a, an oil with a natural oil with maybe shea butter in there, it's another great natural moisturiser. Or even just aloe vera is another lovely moisturising cream as well. Okay, poor old Donal. Now, a lot of people will identify with uh, Donal. They have a newborn baby, four months old. So sleep is the problem in Donal's house. The sleep can be broken or even delayed. Donal says, I have a busy job and I still need to be alert. Could Annalise recommend a tonic or something that Donal could take? He said he did try the Source of Life Gold, but he feels he needs something else. It's something that can keep his energy up on the days when he has very little sleep. Trying to cope without a good night's sleep, which is a tough thing with a newborn. Oh, do you know what, Patricia? If you can get a good night's sleep, I think you can take the world on the following day. I would prefer a hangover any day to a a lack of a night's sleep. So absolutely hard time with small babies. And the great thing about the Source of Life Gold, I think, for giving an energy boost is the ginseng. So taking that on its own would be a good way to boost your energies on the days when you don't get a good night's sleep. It will be much stronger than the dose that is in the Source of Life Gold and it will give you a great kind of an energy boost without that jittery feeling that you might get from a kind of a caffeine boost. So I would definitely recommend the ginseng there. And then continue to take the Source of Life Gold if you like it because that's a great tonic to keep everything else healthy and boosted because when we're when we're lacking sleep, our immune system doesn't function very well we're much more prone to getting sick if we don't sleep well so taking that source of life gold will just keep your general health up and then the ginseng for the days that you don't get good night's sleep it comes in capsule form there is a couple of very nice brands one of my favorite brands is um the terra nova and they do a product called dynamic synergy and it's a blend of different types of ginseng and it's it's a lovely gentle one and that gives you that good energy boost but without any kind of a crash Okay, a question, please. Advice for a 19-year-old who got COVID in January of this year. He now keeps getting coughs and he's just recovering from a chest infection and he's ended up having to use an inhaler, which he hasn't done for four years. Any advice, please? Obviously, this is the after effect of him getting COVID in um, January for a 19 year old and it, it is showing, isn't it? While it's mild for a lot of people, you don't know what you're going to be left with. Strangest virus, Patricia, I've ever come across in all my years because generally we would have seen post-viral fatigue before. So we would have seen symptoms of long COVID from different viruses over the years. But always people who got post-viral fatigue had had a horrendous virus. Whereas with COVID, people are having these long COVID symptoms, even if they weren't that sick with the virus. So it's very strange. We're seeing a lot of um, chest problems, a lot of people ending up on long-term inhalers, a lot of low energy we're seeing a lot of menstrual cycle disruptions uh, with young women. We're seeing a lot of um, brain fog. Um, so it's just this, a lack of t- loss of taste is a very common one. I was reading an article that it seems to be an area of the brain that's affected by COVID for loss of taste, which is really interesting, wow. but a bit frightening. So in terms of supporting the chest, um, there is a very nice supplement that um, we have been recommending for anything to do with COVID and chest. It's called N-acetylcysteine or NAC. 
and it's a great one for anybody who suffers from any chest issues or asthma. It's a brilliant one to support the chest, but it's also um, a precursor to one of our most important natural antioxidant enzymes. And why we need that in the body is those enzymes mop up from all of the inflammation, everything else that goes on the body, and they keep us kind of healthy and well. They help our body keep our cells in good shape and knock out any cells that um, you know are pro- probably damaged or not functioning well. It's a great one for anything to do with anti-aging, keeping you healthy, anti-cancer. So that will do a couple of different jobs. And there is a nice supplement. Um, the NAC may be hard to get depending on the health shop, but Nature's Plus do a supplement called Immune Boost. And we, I love this. It's a new one on the market this year. But in there, there's your vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin E, uh, vitamin C, zinc, and the N-acetylcysteine as well. So it's a fantastic immune support one. The other thing I'd recommend for this lad is the Dr. Claire Mucotone. And I would take that daily. If he's, if he's wheezy at the moment, I would take it three times a day. But even once he starts improving, I would continue to take it once a day until the chest feels fully clear because that has a, a, a couple of herbs in there that will dry up the mucus but also boost the immune system's virus caping capability as well. Okay, and hopefully he'll make a full recovery as soon. Maria says, hi, question for Annalise. I have crippling pain from endometriosis for over two weeks every month. I'm in my early 40s. Is there anything I can do to help with the pain of endometriosis? There is, Patricia. Actually, there's a, there is a really good natural um, approach for endometriosis that's very, very successful, but it does require a fairly targeted approach. And in a nutshell, it's, it's very hard to kind of put it because it, it involves like identifying any foods that could be driving inflammation, any food intolerances, and cleaning up the diet so that the diet is completely processed food-free, completely sugar-free. Sugar is actually the worst thing for endometriosis. There's a big link with sort of insulin insensitivity and resistance and endometriosis. So doing a basic anti-inflammatory diet or a Mediterranean diet is always a great way to do the anti-inflammatory diet, full of lots of fruit and vegetables, whole grains, fish, minimal amounts of red meat, um, eggs and cheese in small amounts, uh, and plenty fish and lentils, peas and beans. That's your typical natural anti-inflammatory diet. And then in terms of supplements, there's quite a few that could um, be used, but one of the ones that we get good success with is um, Myo. It's called uh, Myo, Myo Inositol, I-N-O-S-I-T-O-L, Myo Inositol. And it's very good for polycystic ovaries as well. And then natural anti-inflammatories like your turmeric and your boswellia. Uh, vitamin B6 in high dose if there is lots of other PMT symptoms besides the pain. So if you get the tender breasts and the anxiety. And then your fish oils. Omega-3 fish oils, really important. With vitamin D, at least 2,000 um, to 3,000 I use a vitamin D as a natural anti-inflammatory. So you can see there's quite a lot there. And that would be the basics. But you can get yourself back on track very, very easily within a couple of months. And then, you know, you may not need to be as strict. It's hard to believe that what you eat can affect something like endometriosis. I think it is in a sense, Patricia. But if you kind of think about that, everything that is going on in our body comes originally from a food. So every single, even our thoughts are made up of little proteins. So it does 
hugely matter the type of food that you put into your body and sugar more and more. I did a talk um, there uh, uh, recently on um, the cognitive decline. Sugar is really so bad for everything. We have not evolved to cope well with the amount of sugar in our diet and it just affects everything from your vision, from your uh, hormone health, from your psychological health, from your heart health, your brain health. Everything is affected by sugar. It just drives so many diseases. So anyone, even just cutting that out, is going to make a massive difference to your long-term health. Okay, question for Annalise, please. Just inquiring about a product called Norvia Menopause Supplements. Are they good for menopause and especially hot flushes? So I'm not familiar with that one, but if you're looking for a good menopause supplement, especially for hot flushes, you want to have some plant isoflavones in there, which mimic estrogen and help to kind of prop up your own dropping levels. You're going to want some um, magnesium in there, sage particularly for the hot flushes. A lot of the very good ones will have got, um, will have a B6 in there because it's great for the kind of the anxiety that comes with menopause. Um, and then there's lots of other ones. Some supplements will have stuff in there for the liver because helping the liver detoxify all home, old hormones is a great way for balance. And then some of them have lovely stress supportive herbs like ashwagandha and rhodiola. So the one that we love here um, and our customers love is the Nutri Advanced Perimeno Support. It's got such a fantastic blend of everything. We get great results on it. But I'd say to people who are struggling, go and get HRT. Mm. It's not as dangerous as they have made it out to be. And for a lot of people, it will prevent osteoporosis. You won't have those terrible, awful symptoms to deal with. And it's not that dangerous in the long run. Okay, go talk to your GP. Uh, Hi, Annalise. What is best to take for a very bad sore throat? Any natural remedy to relieve the symptoms? And is it any use going to get an antibiotic for a sore throat? It depends how far it's gone, Patricia. So, like, you can get strep throats, which can be very, very badly infected, and you might need an antibiotic. But what I'd start off here is by gargling. Um, with at least with salt and water anyway because the salt is great for killing off bacteria and then I would support the immune system take something like echinacea you can even gargle with echinacea actually it's wonderful if you've got a sore throat because the echinacea helps the immune cells get active particularly around the throat area um, take your vitamin D, vitamin C and zinc every two to three hours and that's supporting your immune system. And then Dr. Claire does a lovely throat spray that has got sage, marshmallow and echinacea in it. So it's very soothing for sore throat and again the echinacea will help fight the infection. And if you're not getting anywhere after two to three days, if it's getting worse, you're going to need the antibiotic. Yeah, I, I usually rule of thumb is if you can see the little dots on your throat, you know you, know you need an antibiotic. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. if, if the infection has gone too far, there's just unfortunately nothing Nothing can be done. Hi, question for Annalise, please. What would you suggest uh, to treat and prevent stomach inflammation? I burp quite a bit. I also suffer from very full feeling and I have a smooth tongue. If that's, if that's is in any way linked to that, thanking you. That's from Mary. So it could, could be a couple of things, Patricia. It could either be... Um, now, one of the, when I hear burping, I, I always immediately, the first thought that comes to my mind is Helicobacter pylori, which is a bacteria that lives in nearly all of our stomachs, but in some people it overgrows, and it does produce a kind of a gas in the stomach that creates a huge amount of burping. So that might be something to rule out. Um, in the long term, they can cause problems with creating ulcers because they affect the mucus-producing cells of the stomach and they cause them to die off. So your stomach lining becomes exposed and that's how the ulcers come in time. So in the long term, that can be 
can be damaging to the gut. But it may not even be as complica- complicated as that. It might just even be a little bit of acid reflux um, with a very weak valve at the top. And then when you eat, the food is kind of fermenting and producing gas and it's coming back up because that valve at the top of the stomach isn't strong enough to hold it in. So I would suggest for that um, taking slippery elm to manage the symptoms and then something like zinc carnosin um, is fantastic for helping tighten up that valve at the top there. And the last herb there I would recommend is centaurium, which is a great herb that's great for balancing kind of stomach acid, whether you have not enough to digest or too much of it. It can kind of help balance. So a combination of those would work very well. Okay, um, there's a text in from Anne from Mallow said, I've recently been diagnosed with narcolepsy. The most difficult symptom, though, is vivid dreams. Any natural remedy to help out with any suggestions for narcolepsy? That's the one where you fall off asleep, isn't it? That's where you just, yeah, exactly. You just could be sitting, having a conversation and fall asleep right in the middle of it. So I suppose, now I I wouldn't be an expert on that area, but I would imagine that the very vivid dreams is because you're maybe not in the deepest sleep. You know, you're, you're at that kind of lower level of deep sleep where most of us, when we remember our dreams, it's not from the deep sleep part. It's from the part... When we're at the REM sleep, where we're kind of not quite fully deep asleep, but not awake either. So it's possible that that's why she's having such vivid dreams. And maybe taking something that would aid restful sleep could help in this case. So the, the NHP do a fabulous advanced sleep support, which is a blend of about eight different herbs and vitamins to aid a very gentle and calm sleep. So that might help get the good sleep at night time in without those vivid dreams. And I think, again, like everything else, if you can get a good night's sleep and you're more rested the following day, you're less likely to get narcoleptic episodes. Uh, Emma's looking for advice with hand dermatitis. She's tried steroid creams. She's tried a very strong moisturiser. Nothing seems to help. So... It's very, skin is always a very hard one, Patricia, because we think we should treat it from the outside, but it's often coming from the inside. However, having said that, a lot of people have been using a huge amount of hand sanitizing products that have created dermatitis. So if, if that's the case, I would say to people at this point now, stop using the hand sanitizer and just wash your hands with a chemical free um, hand soap instead, like a natural one that you get from the health shop that doesn't have any sodium laurel sulfate or other drying chemicals in there. And then um, use a very gentle cream like Dr. Delish Care Anti-Itch Cream or the Healing Cream are wonderful for helping the skin knit itself back together. And then to treat it from the inside. So if it's just the hands, um, it, you know, it, it, it's possibly not as severe an eczema as you would get all over your body. So taking a, a, an omega supplement will definitely help, but you probably don't need to take the most expensive one on the market. Make sure that you're taking a vitamin D um, supplement of a thousand IUs and that will help hydrate your skin from the inside. And if none of that works, then you do need to look at your food or other environmental allergens could possibly be driving it. Okay, somebody wants to know what would you recommend for very greasy hair? What shampoo would you recommend? And what causes very greasy hair? So, very, I suppose very greasy hair. Some people just produce a lot more oil and sebum. I mean, teenagers particularly would have a lot of um, you know, oil production during their hormonal phase. So, um, and that would cause greasy hair. So it's probably just that. And I know it seems to be a bit counterintuitive, but washing your hair every day actually only forces your 
scalp to produce more oil so actually can contribute towards greasy hair by overwashing. So I think there's a lovely shampoo we have here in the shop. It's the um, Avalon, A-V-A-L-O-N is the company that make it. And it's a rosemary shampoo and it's beautifully clarifying. But rosemary is wonderful for anything to do with the scalp. Um, It's often you'll find it in natural hair tonics. So I would um, use that and then with conditioner, try not to use conditioner if possible. But if you absolutely need to use it, just put it at the ends of your hair and don't comb it near your scalp because that does stick on to the hair follicle and cause it to be greasy as well. Um, and then I think that's probably as, uh, that's as good as it gets really. Some, it's very unlikely to be attached to anything to do with your diet, um, but just generally eating a, a healthy diet with plenty of fruit and veg is always very good to keep your hair healthy as well. Okay, and a couple of people are asking, do you do food allergy tests, do you, at the, the shop? I do, we do, do food allergy tests here. And actually, just coming up as well, Patricia, some people might be interested. We have somebody coming in um, at the end of March, and they're doing a kind of a, a, a check for macular and degeneration in the back of the eye. They have this very sophisticated piece of machinery. So people who are worried about their eye health from looking at screens and phones or who have a history of it can come in and have their eyes checked for 25 quid and they get an eye-healthy diet as well. So we do those kind of tests. We're doing those tests here recently. And the the food intolerance tests, people just ring and book in and we can can sort that out. All right, listen, have a good week. Enjoy your few days off uh, during the week and uh, we'll talk next week. Happy Paddy's. Thanks a million. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you too. That is Annalise Drissel of the Health Hub, Times Square, Balancolic. And as always, Annalise will put up everything we discussed on her website, healthhubstore.com as heard on the radio. Nutritional advice on C103 with Somega, Ireland's purest range of health supplements to get you through winter. Better nutrition, better health with Somega, a West Cork company. Go Somega.com. And very quickly, just before we go, find a text in from someone in Dunmanway saying, to be honest, I don't think it makes any difference that they reduced the price of fuel last week. What I've noticed is every time you go in to do any kind of a grocery shop, everything has gone uh, up. We soon won't be able to afford to put food on the table. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to JP for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. We're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. And then I'm Trisha Messenger. Very good afternoon. On C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.